Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 80 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I hope this episode finds you well, and I thank you for giving me some of your time today. This will be the last episode of the year, because this episode is dropping on the last day of the year. Since the year is ending, I thought I'd do an episode about phrases with ends in them. So let's get started on the endings in today's phrases, origins, history, and more. First up for today is to make your hair stand on end. This one means to be frightened or that something is frightening. We know exactly where this one came from, as it's yet another phrase we can thank Shakespeare for. The bard first penned this one in Hamlet, which was written in 1602. Here's what he wrote, quote, I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars, start from their spheres, thy knotted and combined locks to part, and each particular hair to stand and end, like quills upon the fretful porpentine. End quote. The visual here is great, in my opinion, comparing spiky porcupine quills with the way your hair looks when it stands on end. Now, this one is pretty straightforward, because we know when it was first used in print and who came up with it. But I wanted to share it because of a fantastic word I learned while researching. Horribulation is defined as, quote, the standing up of the hair for fear, a sudden quaking, shuddering, or shivering, end quote. This definition is found in a book written by Thomas Blunt, an English antiquarian and lexicographer. The book was commonly known by its short name, Glossographia, but its full name was Glossographia, or a dictionary interpreting all such hard words of whatsoever language now used in our refined English tongue with etymologies, definitions, and historical observations on the same. Also, the terms of divinity, law, physic, mathematics, and other arts and sciences explicated. Whew. I believe that that is officially the longest book title I've ever found. Anyway, why does our hair stand on end when we're scared? Because your body is protecting itself. It's a subconscious survival instinct that comes from back when humans were much hairier. Much like other mammals, fluffing up hair can make you look bigger. So humans in really old-timey times likely puffed up when scared to make themselves look more threatening and less like an easy target. These so-called goosebumps, named for the similarity to what the skin of a plucked bird looks like, also appear when we're cold. This, too, is a leftover survival tactic, as having your hair stand on end can help trap air close to you, therefore keeping you warmer. Although people have probably been getting goosebumps since people first existed, we can't know for sure exactly when the natural reaction became associated with fear. However, I can tell you that it has been since at least biblical times. 
The book of Job is thought to have been written in or around the 6th century BC. And chapter 4, verses 14 through 15 say, Fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. That's all I have for this one, so now let's grab a stick. The short end of the stick means that you got the bad end of a deal. It can also be used to say that you lost a contest or game, or, although less common, that you're mistaken. Some people theorize that this saying comes from the old-timey times practice of using a sponge on a stick to clean up after going to the bathroom. If you grabbed the wrong end of that stick, well, it wasn't good. While this is possible, it can't be proven to be the origin, and there are other theories. Another one has to do with a physical fight, in which one person is hitting another with a stick. If you're the one being hit, then you're getting the short end of the stick. Yet another theory has to do with walking sticks, which tend to get dirty on the end that touches the ground. If you pick it up from the wrong end, your hand is likely to get dirty. Now, none of these can be proven to be the true origin, but I personally think it has to do with one or both of the dirty stick options, because of how the saying has changed over time. This idiom is thought to have entered the popular vernacular in the 16th century, but then it was being said as the worst end of the staff. We know this because of a book published in 1542 by Nicholas Udall, an English playwright, schoolteacher, and cleric. It was called apothemums, that is to say, prompt, quick, witty, and sententious sayings. And in this book, Udall included, quote, which is often as they see themselves to have the worst end of the staff in their cause, end quote. Now, as this is a collection of sayings, we can deduce that this saying is older than 1542, but this is considered the first use in print. The word staff became the word stick not long after, as John Haywood, a man we hear from frequently on the show, included it in his 1562 book of sayings titled The Proverbs, Epigrams, and Miscellanies of John Haywood. He wrote, quote, Staff, the worst end of the staff, we now say wrong end of the stick. End quote. It took a little longer for worse to change to short, as it doesn't seem to appear this way in print for over 300 years. In an 1895 article in the Bar Harbor Record, a newspaper from Bar Harbor, Maine, we find this quote. There was a horse and hog trade consummated in Bar Harbor last week between two well-known men, which has been the topic of discussion ever since. And it is a question as to who got the short end of the stick. End quote. Now, let's light a candle. To burn the candle at both ends means that you exhaust yourself. It can be used to say that you're really busy for any reason although it's most often associated with the combination of working too much and not getting enough sleep. It hasn't always meant this, though. When it first came into use, it meant to be wasteful. This is because in old-timey times, candles were expensive. Although I guess that hasn't really changed much. 
Yeah, I'm looking at you, Yankee Candle and Bath and Body Works. Anyway, if you light a candle at both ends, it burns away faster, so it would be wasteful, especially in old-timey times when they needed candles to survive, not to make their house smell good. Thanks to Randall Cotgrave, an English lexicographer, we know that this phrase is at least as old as the early 17th century, and likely came from France. Cotgrave included this in his A Dictionary of the French and English Tongues, which was published in 1611. The phrase he used was brûler la chandelle pour la dubo, which translates to burn the candle by the two ends. It was used to mean wasteful until at least the early 18th century, because we find it defined this way in the 1736 edition of the Dictionarium Britannicum a dictionary compiled by John Kersey, another English lexicographer. He wrote this definition, quote, The candle burns at both ends, said when husband and wife are both spendthrifts, end quote. This physically wasteful idea morphed over time into more of a metaphorical wastefulness. If someone started work before daylight and worked till after dark, they'd have to light a candle to work by both in the morning and in the evening. Or, in other words, you'd be burning a candle at both ends of the day. If you worked that much, you might be wasting your life to an extent, which is how the wasted candle meaning turned into the doing too much to enjoy your life meaning. I've exhausted the history of this one, so let's move on so we don't waste any time. Toppers, today I have a couple of turn of phrases tidbits for you. The first one is the light at the end of the tunnel. This one means that you can tell the end of something is near, and this can range from anything from the completion of a job or goal to someone's life being nearly over. The origin of this idiom is thought to have come from a painting titled Visonin vom Gensitz which, when said correctly, translates to vision from the hereafter. It was part of a four-panel painting done by Dutch painter Hieronymus Bosch in the late 15th century. One of the panels included creatures in front of a long tunnel with a light at the end of it. Even so, the metaphor didn't really become a saying for at least 400 years. No one seems to know how it became a metaphor for things ending, but most people think it entered the vernacular either in the 19th or 20th century. Whenever it was first used, many people point to President John F. Kennedy as the person who helped to make it more popular when he used it in a speech about the Vietnam War. Today's other tidbit is all good things come to an end. This one simply means that nothing good can last forever. It's often used to remind someone to enjoy something, because it will eventually end. It's also used to express regret. This one is attributed to Geoffrey Chaucer, as he used it in his poem Troilius and Chrysidae, which was written sometime in the 14th century. It was phrased a little differently than how we use it, but since it was written in Middle English, this isn't surprising. The stanza which included the believed first use of the saying can be found in Book 3, Line 615. Here is the stanza, quote, 
And after supper gone thee to rise, at ease well with hurts fresh and glad, to liken her or that her laughing made. He song she played, he told tale of Wade. But at the last, as everything hath end, she took her leave, and Ned's wold wind. End quote. That's really all there is to this one. We know where and when it came from. So now it's time for today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from Charles Dickens. Here's what he had to say about endings. Quote, The year end brings no greater pleasure than the opportunity to express to you a season's greetings and good wishes. May your holidays and new year be filled with joy. End quote. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Mr. Dickens, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words. Love advice from old-timey times. Just a quick disclaimer. Remember that this advice is over a hundred years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't be rude to people whom you dislike, or your husband will have just cause to be ashamed of you. Politeness costs nothing. And now for the men. Don't omit to bring home an occasional bunch of flowers or a few chocolates. Your wife will value even a penny bunch of violets for your thought of her. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 80. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnaphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, may 2019 be your best year yet. Toodaloo. Let me rephrase. Thy nodded and combined looks, nope, like quills upon the fretful porcupine, porcupine, Shakespeare, <laughs> why do you say porcupine like that? Like quills upon the fretful porcupine, por <laughs> that sounds more like something you clean paint with, okay. A dictionary interpreting, nope.
This idiom is, whoopsie daisy. It was called, oh, a pop, a pop, a pop, the, <laughs> oh, this is, okay. It was called a puff thuming thegmes thegmes a puff thegmes of si of signs signs man I might you got any signs for me I'm sorry I'm gonna take that out and it doesn't seem to appear in print this way for over nope 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 Hieronymus nope Hieronymus Bosch Hieron Hieronymus. Done by Dutch painter Hieronymus Bosch. Hieronymus. 